Hello, and welcome back to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast. This week, we'll be discussing the latest movie news, film trailers, new release reviews, including Wonder Woman 84, Sputnik, WandaVision, Cobra Kai Season 3, and Chadwick Boseman's final film performance in Netflix's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. On top of it all, every week we discuss a classic film in our video store corner section. And this week, we'll be rocking our Stonewash Levi's and nothing else as we rip the throat out of Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse. More of that later in the show. This is Miles, and as ever, I'm joined by a man who once told me, get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they're going to throw up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like him. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in his head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams. I hope. It's Phil! Hi, Phil! (laughs) Hi, hello. <laughs> hello. How's it, going? How's it going? Really good. Really good. Would you like to explain to our listeners the reasons you caused such a large gap in between episodes? Me? Yes. Well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I beg to uh, to differ. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you were off in, you know, we managed to to get a Mexican episode done while you're off there, haven't you? And, we did. Uh, uh, and then, you know, you've just been a busy boy, haven't you? I've been a busy bunny. I have yeah. been a busy bunny. You've been a busy boy. And it's been Christmas and New Year. And we had a we had a great old uh, Zoom New Year, didn't we? We really did. Not one for the <laughs> listeners, I think. I don't think we could possibly talk about what we did on that no. Zoom at New Year's. <laughs> Maybe not. Probably, but you did something really cool. Bit. I celebrated the UK New, New Year with you. I'm here in New York again. I'm back. Um, I love this town. <laughs> and uh, you did something really cool. I, I was there for the UK New Year, and then you stayed up with me for the New York New Year, which was awesome. And we got to celebrate. And it was uh, a, it was a long but brilliant night. It was a long but brilliant. Definitely, night. Uh, Danny Glovered it the next day. Woke up. <laughs> well woke up woke up after my few hours of sleep and uh definitely muttered to myself i'm too old for this shit that's funny because i woke up and did a full-on mel gibson and put a gun in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> all right. let's all laugh at that um so what have you been doing during your hiatus did you watch many tv shows movies uh yeah i've actually watched loads mm-hmm. of um well christmas is the kind of time where you just want to watch a load of films anyway mm-hmm. so christmas was Great. Watch the old Christmas standards, you know, Die Hard, um, Home Alone 1 and 2, Jingle All the Way. Ho, ho, Malone. <laughs> uh, actually watched Die Hard. What, did I say Die Hard? I watched Die Hard 2 this time instead. Oh, because Die Carly, my wife, had not seen it, which what? I was immensely shocked to find out. So we remedied it quite quickly. So instead of Die Hard 1, which is normally done every year, but I had already watched it last year. Uh, Die Hard 2 got watched instead. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? <laughs> I mean, it's still set at Christmas. so Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of Christmas films and a few other bits and pieces. Um, too many to mention, really. 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? I have a tradition of watching The Lion King on Christmas Day, which is what I did this year. Right. Um, the original, the OG, not the John Favreau remake. The one I haven't seen. <laughs> we we got to cut that out because no <laughs> one's going to want to listen to your opinion on movies if you haven't seen the best animated movie of all time. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> but I uh, watched that and then I remembered that last year I was actually in the Serengeti in the middle of like Lion King land. And I remember waking up and it being like, Um, So that was cool. Um, I also watched a couple things on HBO Max. I've got an HBO Max subscription now here in the States. Um, There's this new movie called Locked Down, Locked Down, Mm. um, starring Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway about a couple that are kind of drifting apart while in lockdown during COVID-19. Yeah. And um, so it's written by Stephen Knight, who wrote uh, Peaky Blinders among many other things, directed Locke uh, with Tom Hardy, um, and directed by Doug Lyman of Go and Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whatever the hell you want to call it. Right. Um, amazing. Like It's crazy how quickly they've thrown this thing together. Really well written, two really great central performances, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and also a film that I, I actually had tickets to see just before the lockdown in New York. It's a film called The Road's Not Taken, which is a, a film directed by Sally Potter, and uh, starring Javier Bardem and Elle Fanning, which is about a a man, uh, Javier Bardem, and his daughter. And he's going through an unspecified illness. He's kind of forgetting who he is and unable to communicate and that kind of thing. Um, but he starts to visualize where his life could have gone if he'd taken certain decisions earlier. Right. And so it's about here the interplay between those kind of three lives that you see. And really good, really emotional film, but really touching film. Um, split a lot of people down the middle, but it's a classic Miles movie, and uh, I really, I did really like it. I have to say, um, so I'm really good. glad I got. Yeah, I'm glad I got. Bardem's always good in whatever he does, though. Really, and he's bloody brilliant in this. Really, yeah. really good. Really affecting. Like, you know, you can, you can, you know, I don't want to quote Tropic Thunder, but you can watch certain movies with actors in certain roles, and you, you're watching an actor, you know, play a certain type of affliction, and in this is just. He, you know he inhabits the, the the role and the illness so really touching mm. so the road's not taken um if you like your movies deep and depressing definitely check that one out okay so this week we're going to skip over the listener question um we're going to focus more on last year and obviously for a lot of people it was a really really tough year um not only that but it was also a year of watching a lot of tv and a lot of movies at home hence everybody being stuck indoors so what we wanted to do is put together a top 10 list of the movie mouth podcast favorite films and tv of the last 12 months and we put this together alongside not only phil myself but also some of our favorite contributors to the movie mouth podcast and also some of our listeners um so thank you very much for those of you that did uh, contribute here um and uh, phil you want to get us started off so, start with movies. Number 10 was a potentially very unexpected entry. <laughs> and that was Gerard Butler in End of the World Scenario Greenland. Let's play a game of fuck off. You go first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was, uh, this was one of my choices. And it, it's just, it, I, I didn't expect... I think it's fair to say that Gerard Butler's output in recent years has been a bit uh, straight to DVD <laughs> in the fact that, you know, the, the fallen films and things just f- have that feel about them. 
they're not nothing you know groundbreaking and i, I suppose no. neither is this but for uh to sit down and watch a disaster film in what was a disastrous year for everyone uh wasn't particularly a good prospect but <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it i thought it was really well done and it kept me it kept me gripped and yeah it was one, it was definitely one of the the better like one of the films i enjoyed more last year couldn't agree more couldn't agree more so strange having a gerard butler film in our top 10 but keep it going jerry <laughs> we loved it uh, so at number nine was Queen and Slim. This was the Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith starring movie about two people of color in America whose first date takes an unexpected turn when a police officer pulls them over. So very current movie, um, very in tone with obviously a lot of the civil rights uh, conversations that were happening last year. Um, and protests and so on around the the George Floyd uh, murder. Um, this was directed by Melina Matsukas. Um, great, really great film um, and uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, so number nine, Queen and Slim. Number eight would be The Vast of Night. So this was, I'll talk particularly about this one as, as I know this was very high on my list. Uh, it was a, basically a, a newcomer movie um starring pretty much no one you've ever seen before in anything directed by a gentleman called Andrew Patterson and also written by Andrew Patterson no relation um it's it it, it centers around one night in New Mexico in the late 1950s where a switchboard operator and a radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future or their futures forever mm -hmm. um extraterrestrial in nature won't spoil it Starts off with a really great tracking shot through a basketball game in the 50s. There's some other really great tracking shots that they put in there. Um, it's, it's done on a shoestring budget, but it's a really good film. And very rarely do these kind of independent or first-time directors, you know, kind of come up with something that's so well stylized uh, visual, visually and also, also very deep. So really like that movie, The Vast of Night. If you have Amazon Prime, check it out. Um, I highly, highly recommend that. Um, so number seven in the list, and this was a real surprise, uh, was the Bloomhouse Horror, The Invisible Man, directed by Lee Wan-El uh, and starring Elizabeth Moss uh, and Oliver, Oliver Jackson Cohen. Um, this was a real surprise, as I said. Uh, it's a very, very well stylized, very well put together movie, again, on a low budget, um, mm -hmm. about a, um, an abusive ex relationship um, when uh, Elizabeth Moss's ex takes his own life um ends up leaving her his fortune and she then suspects that his death was a was a hoax and then a series of kind of weird coincidences start kind of happening to her and she starts to suspect that he might not actually be dead right um and this was a real like i said a real surprise um it had a really good cast there's a, a great scene in there again i won't spoil it but the restaurant scene in particular uh was a, <laughs> was a real shock um and again one of the one of those movies a horror movie where they actually can pick out a centralized performance from someone elizabeth moss in particular here, she, she's a, i would say an oscar worthy performance um it's not going to get any recognition from the academy because they never recognize sadly horror horror movies mm. if it does you know she she would definitely get my vote but the the invisible man was really good and uh, and really worth uh checking out um, number six on the list. Uh, now, this is another one that, that kind of came out of left field, and I think it shows the depth of movies that uh, that kind of came out over 2020 and the exposure to those movies that we had. 
um, is the the man standing next, which is a Korean movie um, starring quite quite a few very well known uh, like uh, Lee Byung Hun, um, who in in this case in in the nineteen seventies Korea. Um, it's under absolute control of of President Park, who controls the KCIA, basically an org- an organization that has uh, over the edge of any branch of government. Um, and this was a real, really interesting thriller, historical, of course, as well. Um, and obviously, off the back of the likes of Parasite, you know, another great step in the direction of of Korean movies. Um, and certainly, you know, if you, if you're if you're starting to to look into more of the world cinema aspect, then this is highly, highly recommended. So, the man standing next. Uh, was was there at, uh, at number six number five uh, now this is a movie that came out towards the end of the year and it is in fact our only animated movie in the list and that mm-hmm. is disney pixar's soul starring jamie fox and tina fey um so this was released at christmas day on disney plus so if you have a disney plus account you can watch this right now um again pixar movie uh it was from the same director as uh inside out um and monsters inc uh it was also um you know another kind of internal let's say more of a a adult um pixar movie than a a kids movie but still caters to both audiences um and a really really great central performance from jamie fox a movie that i had actually had to watch twice um after the first time i watched it i watched it twice in a row um really really good really affecting very emotional uh and an amazing score as well by trent reznor and atticus ross Wow. who did you know a lot of the david finch stuff so um, i need to watch re- this up yeah yeah I've not, I've not caught it yet but yeah i will be highly highly recommended and especially if you're like yourself you know you're a musician um but you have passions in life and that kind of thing um this kind of plays more to that that audience and uh yeah i mean it's it's not without its its issues it was great to see a pixar movie have its first ever central lead character as a person of color they did make a few missteps with it um, you know, namely without again giving any spoilers away, um, but that that uh, character being turned into something else um, was fairly disappointing. Um, but right. you know, dep- depends which way you look at it. I really liked the film; thought it was great, and again, very very uh, affecting. Next one on the list, Phil. You can talk about this one. Uh, this is number four, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in seventy five hundred or seven thousand five hundred. Yeah. It's again, 7500. <laughs> however you want to put it, <laughs> 7500. Um, I love this. This was one of the best for me in, during the year. Um, so this is the uh, plane hijacking psychological thriller that's set entirely within uh, the cockpit of the plane, pretty much, apart from like one scene. <laughs> uh and it was, I said it at the time when we reviewed it, but it was one of the most tense films I've seen in years. It really did keep me on the edge of my seat uh, watching the whole thing. It was it was great. It was brilliantly acted. I said it was only, what, f- four people in it, pretty much. Um, but brilliant. Uh, really, really different as well. Love the way it was shot. You know, sort of really effective use of... Um, the, the you know the only sort of view of the outside world you get is through the CCTV camera, which overlooks mm-hmm. the pilot like the cockpit door. Um, other than that, it's just within that confined cockpit space with him freaking out while his plane's being hijacked. It's just <laughs> fantastic. It's such a good film. I, I loved it. Really good and a good return from Gordon. 
Gordon-Levitt as well. It's funny. A, a family member of mine actually watched this after listening to your review, and he texted me straight away saying, great movie, do not watch it if you're hungover. <laughs> no, totally not. Yeah, I think it was a bit stressful. Yeah, I think, you'd, yeah, not a good idea. Number three was a movie that, for me, at the start of the year, probably was my favorite movie so far. Um, still high up in the list, and that is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, which is about four African-American Vietnam vets who battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader, played by the late, great Chadwick Boseman, and the gold fortune that he helped them hide. Um, now, this was, a, for me, a really affecting movie. It was, I think it came out the week after George Floyd was, was murdered. Yeah, it was. Um, it was very close to the time, yeah crazy so how quick it came really, out uh, and yeah. how relevant um but you know this starred delroy lindo um jonathan majors clark peters norm lewis ishaya whitlock um and they you know obviously all playing the older vets um something they did really nice that i really liked about this is how they played not only the older vets going to vietnam but also the younger vets in vietnam at the time of the battles that the when they lost um the, the character played by chadwick boseman central yeah. performance delroy lindo for me, he's nailed on for the Oscar this year as the the leading man. Even yeah, though he was amazing, yeah, and it was even though it was an unsympathetic performance, he's wearing a "Make America Great Again" cap throughout the movie, and mm. but the central performance was absolutely incredible from him. Um, and uh, you know, we we hope that he he gets that uh, that recognition. Um, so number two, and this might give away what number one is, is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Phil, tell us about it. Tenet, the only film I managed to watch actually in a cinema in the entirety of last year. <laughs> Is that why it was high up on your list? No. Uh, now, if I'm brutally honest, I still don't quite understand it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the main thing about Tenet is that it was so interesting to mm -hmm. watch and just the way that it did something which has just never been done before in what I know of. Yep. Uh, you know, the whole reverse thing and knowing after, you know, after having seen it, knowing that some of the fight scenes and that were acted as if they were in reverse is just insane to me. But you know, we all know that Chris Nolan makes some amazing films. I love the way he shoots stuff, his use of practical effects and, you know, grand scale, like set pieces had all of it. Mm -hmm. It was slightly confusing. A lot of people were complaining about the sound design in it, which I, I don't really agree with, but mm -hmm. it was good. It was really good. Yeah. I, I mean, it's weird. It was still kind of a disappointment, but it was also my number one movie of the year. Right. Um, so I I don't know again if it was because of just going to the BFI IMAX with you and other friends and you know having a absolutely amazing time you know watching it and being together in a in a cinema after all the shit that happened this year and is still happening right now. Mm. Um, I think the scale of it as well, seeing it on an IMAX screen and yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of the performances in it were particularly great. Um, I think that the the movie was fairly emotion free um but i still did really very much enjoy the spectacle of it and um and like you said you know 
things that we've never seen on on screen happening and things that kind of still trying to get our heads around cerebrally yeah um you know so and it's also i think the only movie this year that i bought on blu-ray to watch again right you know having having already seen it so i think that yeah. that says a lot for me if i'm if i'm invested in in, in that kind of way um but maybe i should watch it again <laughs> maybe i definitely it. need to watch it again at some point and try and yeah. understand it again yeah tom hardy was good in it though wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> to quote a friend of ours oh my god yeah <laughs> do you want to tell that story uh yeah so, so one of the guys that we went to the cinema with was a friend of ours and he um if he wasn't a friend of ours he probably would have been physically harmed by myself <laughs> during the watching of it just because he uh he's the kind of guy he didn't give it a chance he he was asleep for most of the film um he woke up i think halfway through uh tapped me on the shoulder and whispered in my ear yeah phil it's really dry this isn't it it's really dry <laughs> and then he went back to sleep and then i think he woke up for a bit at the end um and what's the actor's name that looks partly aaron taylor remember. johnson right yeah. yeah uh and he thought he was um <laughs> he thought tom he was hardy. tom hardy and we left the cinema and he was you know as you sort of talk about a film as you leave it sort of thing i was like well did you like what you saw from when you were awake? And he was like, well, Tom Hardy was good at it, wasn't he? I was like, um, yeah, that wasn't Tom Hardy, mate. <laughs> he was also calling it Tenant afterwards. Tenant, yeah. Tenant super. Yeah, I enjoyed Tenant. <laughs> I really like Tenant, but Tom Hardy was good in it. Bless him. Bless, Bless him. him. Bless his little cotton socks. Um, so that means number one this year, the number one movie of the Movie Mouth podcast this year as voted for by... Us, the co-hosts, and you, the listeners, and our contributors, is Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Phil, this was your number one movie of the year. It was. You want to tell us why? It it was just brilliant. It's the, it was just, again, unexpected. I saw the, you know, because it was a Netflix release, wasn't it? So I saw the trailer for it. I thought that looks, that looks pretty good. It's got a lot of big names in it. Um... But the performances on it were just phenomenal. Like, just, again, just gripping. Uh, and again, I think I said at the time when we reviewed it, I, I don't think I've watched a film in years that's made me so angry watching it, just mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the way it was portrayed and, you know, it, based on true events, as we know. But it was just, um, it was a, just a great film. Just really, yeah. really good. Really well shot. Uh and I definitely think there should be some Oscars coming out of this one. Who would you say was the standout performance in the movie? <sighs> I, I mean, mean, you've got so many to choose from. Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John were, Carroll Lynch, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Mark Rylance. <laughs> I can't, I, to be honest with you, I really, I really can't, I can't single anyone out because I think they were just all really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, apart from... <laughs> no, his performance was amazing, but the only thing that grated on me was a little bit was uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's um, accent. American accent. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it was quite. It was a uh, boss. We thing. want to avoid a war or something yeah. like that. Was like, so yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. But you know, it didn't take anything away from it. It was still like That'd an amazing performance. So yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Really, as always with Sorkin, really well written, um, and again poignant for for this time. And you know, I think this year has done so many things in terms of content on TV and in movies. You know, whether it's The Five Bloods, you know, whether it's The, the Trial of Chicago Seven. Whether it's you know uh, David Attenborough documentaries on on Netflix about the the planet, I think it's made us all a little bit more impassioned about people and getting things right and the things that we've all been kind of glossing over for the last however many decades while we just get on with our lives selfishly and you know being able to refocus a little bit on these kind of issues that have affected humanity or affected the planet or whatever I think is a is a good thing and hopefully we've all become in our quarantine you know no doubt more overweight like me but hopefully more conscientious as well about a lot of the, the causes and issues that have been the, the and continue to affect us all so number one trial of chicago seven number one movie um we're gonna fly through i think the tv list uh but we'll i'll, I'll get us i'll get us started off um so at number 10 uh, this was an, an interesting one and it really uh, had so much um attention this year was Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, um, which was a more of a, a docu series, but it, it followed the Chicago Bulls throughout their 1990s uh, kind of victory lap seasons of winning back to back um, NBA titles, uh, and obviously you know Michael Jordan himself, uh, Scottie Pippen, and all of the all of the, the really well known players and coaches around that time, and and followed you know his kind of rise through his ascendancy through through the game um even you know at times moving out from nba and going to play baseball stuff like that it was a really interesting um i would say a really interesting uh, show to watch i think it made a lot of people kind of reminisce for actually seeing live sport again <laughs> considering again that we were we were all kind of held you know indoors which was always an unfortunate position to mm. be in um but again you know really really exciting um, number number nine was uh, DNA, um, which was uh, the TV series, um, which is about uh, basically five years after his daughter disappears, a Danish police officer discovers a fatal flaw in the DNA database, and uh, he might finally be able to to find her. Uh, so that was a really really uh, highly praised international show. Um, number where are we? Number eight was The Boys season two. This was a personal pick of mine. Um, it followed on from the first series of The Boys, which for me, the jury was kind of out on. Um, this was really good. It expanded the characters really, really well. Um, you know, Carl Urban in the, in the central role, uh, saying the C word, you know, pretty much for the whole thing. Really <laughs> good show. Um, really looking forward to, to season three. And you can see that on Amazon Prime. Uh, next was The Umbrella Academy season two, Phil. Yeah, so I hadn't seen Umbrella Academy season one. Uh it's sort of just been off my radar and then you reviewed season two and i thought i like the sound of this so went back and watched season one uh and then straight into season two uh loved it all thought it was brilliant really good really different uh good fun good fun well-made series yeah definitely yeah, and really enjoyed it they they've also just cast uh season three which is quite exciting because of okay. course we won't say too much but there is a rival academy who are all being currently cast for season three. So we're looking forward to reviewing that one, hopefully, this year. Um, okay, so number uh, that was number seven. 
Yep. Uh, moving on to number six is Dark Season 3. Phil, another favourite of yours this year. Yeah, so this is the German um, time-travelling sci-fi alternate future and past series. Um, was really looking forward to Season 3. One and two were amazing. Um, really worth watching. Just really well cast. Really well acted. Again, just does something a bit different uh and very very gripping and it was a really good uh it was a really good third season i think i think that's going to be the final season i'm not sure i'm trying to remember how it ended now but yeah really really good it carried on you know where it left off and just did a really good job really really enjoyed it great stuff so we're moving into the serious territory here so at number five we have the only Apple Plus or Apple TV Plus show on the list, and that is the comedy starring Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso, which follows a US American football coach who heads to the UK to manage a struggling London football team in the top flight of English football. This I absolutely loved. Unexpectedly, I have to say, um, I do love football. I do love Jason Sudeikis. I don't didn't really want to watch this initially. <laughs> Um, 12 episodes of, you know, really nice, um, really just heartwarming comedy. Um, also the fact that, you know, I'm from the UK originally, so seeing some English based comedy was also a good thing. Um, but I really liked it. I, th I thought it was just, it wears its heart on its sleeve, really genuine. Um, not just, you know, ripping, you know, UK or US culture It has a lot more depth mm. to it than that. Reminded me of, um, you know, kind of maybe, maybe kind of like the office, uh, the UK original kind of series in that, yeah. you know, it's the, the way that there's a depth to the comedy. There's not just, it's not just, you know, a bunch of idiots that you despise and yeah. somehow a central character who is a bit of an idiot, who's also someone that's relatable and, you know, actually, you know, you actually like has a heart to him. So really good. And they've, they've obviously, you know, actioned uh, another, another season of that, which is, which is coming soon. So really like Ted Lasso at number five, number four, uh, and suitably at four, was season four of Netflix's The Crown. Um, we reviewed that in the last Movie Mouth podcast, so we won't go into too much detail on it. But needless to say, bringing it a little bit more up to date, um, focusing more on uh, Charles and Diana. And obviously there's been a lot of, you know, uh, backlash around that and around, you know, what happened behind closed doors. But again, it's a, you know, really, really um, critical drama to watch. And I think if you've got a Netflix account and you haven't seen it, then uh, you're missing out because you're paying for it. And it's absolutely incredible. Number three, something I still haven't seen, and I'm sorry to say it, but you loved it. Better Call Saul, season five. Yeah, I think this was out in early last year. I absolutely love this series. So this is the follow on from... Um, um, Breaking Bad. <laughs> Trying to remember what it was from. Uh, and this follows uh, Saul, the Saul Goodman, the uh, lawyer, and his sort of backstory and his uh, origins. And I've just loved every single season of this. Uh, Bob Odenkirk um, just is amazing in these. And yeah, I just can't wait for more, to be honest. I, 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 I would go out there and say I've preferred better call Saul to breaking bad easily just because he's so good in it and it, I, i'm really glad they they did a spin-off and it's, it's good because it, it just links not if you haven't seen it it just it has really 
great links back to the uh, back to Breaking Bad as well. But um, yeah, love it. Really good. Well, high praise indeed. Love it and prefer it to Breaking Bad. Well, that's mm. high praise indeed. I think controversial. A billion people just screamed out, yes, what the hell head. are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I, you know, you're not the only one that voted for it, and you're not the only one that had it very, very high up in the list as well. So there obviously, we it's something that I need to get into. You do. Number two. Mm. The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. And this is, of course, the Anya Taylor-Joy starring uh, show which was a mini-series directed and written by Scott Frank, who had previously written uh, Godless on Netflix, the, the Western. It's about the orf- a girl that's orphaned at the tender age of nine um, who becomes a, uh, a, a basically a, a chess prodigy. <laughs> um, stick with us. Um, <laughs> it's actually one of the best things on TV, and if it wasn't for whoever is at number one, this would have been number one for sure. It was in everybody's top five list that I requested, um it was brilliant i watched all seven episodes in i think a weekend or maybe even a day i don't know (laughs) anymore um but just central performance from anya taylor joy was incredible incredible um script really well written looked amazing yeah had suspense um and told a great a great story i think and you know we're really looking forward to seeing more from scott frank and certainly more from uh, from anya taylor joy yeah definitely so number one, you haven't seen this list, Phil, but you got to know what's at number one, haven't you? I know what's at number one. Go on then. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> that was a good impression. It's the Mandalorian, isn't it? Season two, baby. Season two. It was special, wasn't it? <laughs> I loved it. Um, And, I, I, well, I I have heard a lot of, mixed feelings about again we're not going to go into it or spoil it at all yeah. but i've had a lot of mixed feelings about the final episode <laughs> the final 10 minutes of the final episode yeah basically um and i agree with some of the criticism it's got but overall what what a great star wars series for fans of star wars like we are it's just it's up there and it? it's just it's perfect yeah i agree every every episode knocked my socks off um waiting to get to the end of the episode to find out who directed it because they didn't release that on IMDb or anywhere on the internet Yeah, to tell you actually who directed. You know, so seeing the likes of, you know, Robert Rodriguez in there, for example, mm. was wild. Yeah. John Favreau obviously directed the, the first episode, which was awesome. You had Dave Filoni coming back, Bryce Dallas Howard, Deborah Chow, Peyton Reed directed the finale. Um, Carl Weathers even directed one of them. <laughs> I know. Um, and my my personal favorite, uh, Rick uh, Famuyiwa, excuse me, yeah. um, who for me directed some of the well, one of the best episodes in the in in the show. But again, I'll leave it up to you people at home to to define who, which one that was. Um, but yeah, I mean the revelations, the the emotions. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit, as usual. I cried my fucking eyes out and at the end of the the last episode I don't even know why why did I cry why um but I just did it was oh, it's so touching um and uh you know on a personal note I watched this all over the world like I I watched this in Paris I watched this in Mexico and and caught up with it and watched you know some of it also again when I got back I watched the last episode again after it finished um and I mean 
this is Star Wars now, isn't it? Star Wars is at home on TV and not so much on the big screen, perhaps. But yeah, potentially. Yeah, and then we have so many uh, more series to come. Yeah, so, the announcement uh, of all the other ones is just yes, indeed, very exciting as well. I wish we could talk more about it, but obviously people may not have seen all of this. But no, the right. Mandalorian season two is without a doubt our number one was on the list was on everybody's list um of all of our contributors in fact bar one jason this one's for you not sure what your problem was but we disagree (laughs) um but thank you everybody for contributing and uh, we'll be publishing this list on our instagram account so you can see uh, exactly what that list was and if you've missed any of these movies or or shows then uh, of course you can you can catch up with them so phil we better get a move on let's uh jump into blimey sir Let's jump into some uh, some quick fire movie news. So, what have you picked up on this week? Uh, a couple of uh, small announcements. Well, one's not very small. The first one is going is that there's going to be a uh, Deadpool three confirmed, done. It's in the book, uh, and it's going to be part of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ooh. Um, and also, it's it's the the third sequel to Weekend at Bernie's called Weekend at Bernie's Three Colon Deadpool Three. <laughs> I really hope so. What a crossover that'd be! I'd watch the hell out of that. Um, so yeah, this is just saying that it. Um, I think it was an interview with Collider, um, mm-hmm. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige. Feige. Feige however you want to pronounce his name. <laughs> Feige. 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 Uh, he revealed that Ryan Reynolds is will be starring uh, and he's working on the script at the moment. So that's very exciting. Well, Ryan Reynolds is working on the script. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, it's going to be rated R, of course, as they have been yes. before, um, which is the best thing about it. Uh, but it will not be filming this year. Oh, so it's going to take a little while yet, but I'm a massive fan of the Deadpool films. Love them. So glad there's going to be a number three. I mean, he could, he could in theory, keep doing these forever, couldn't he? Because he's got some serious prosthesis on his face when he's not <laughs> he wearing do. a mask. So, yeah. and even then, if he gets too old, like he could just have a stuntman running around and just provide the voice. It's endless. <laughs> we'll have it. Deadpool 56, won't we? That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's that. And then the other uh, little bit of news I picked up on, and this is, I suppose, more for um, gaming fans, but especially uh, fans of games based on movies. So this was the uh, announcement that Bethesda, the gaming studio, mm-hmm. uh, famous for Fallout and Skyrim uh, and many others, and another company called Machine Gun Games, uh, Machine Games, sorry, not Machine Gun, Machine Games, uh, working alongside Lucasfilm Games on a new Indiana Jones title with an with an original story. Oh, so right. that's going to be very exciting. And then also, with along with that, I think announced the day after was that Ubisoft, another giant of gaming, yes. um, are teaming up with Lucasfilm Games on a new open world Star Wars game as well. So that's, I think, as a game. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. um, Electronic Arts used to have the, the license with Star Wars. Yeah, they did because they've done the, um, uh, what, the Battlefront, are they yeah. called? Yeah, yeah, they've done those games and stuff, didn't they? But mm-hmm. 
yeah, so this is Ubisoft working on it on an open world title. So this could be wow, very cool. Uh, yeah, like Fantasy Star Online, but with Star Wars, a Star Wars universe. Yeah, well, there used to be one like ages ago, early two thousands. I think there was a, a like a oh uh, Knights of, of like the a, Old Republic. That's it. Yeah, I yep. think there was an open world. Yeah, game sort of World of Warcraft. It was the time when War, World of Warcraft more of, was I think huge. it was more of an RPG, wasn't it? More of like a kind of... Yeah, but it was like you paid a subscription monthly and it was like an yeah. open world huge sort of thing. But this could be, you know, having this on like next-gen wow. console stuff could be really exciting. Definitely. Yeah. Just negative it... stuff for me, to be honest. Just oh, negative dear. news. James Bond. on second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, everybody, let's all go kill ourselves. <laughs> James Bond 007, No Time to Die, has been delayed again, moving from April 2021 to now October. Mm. Um, die another delay is what I'm going to call nice this one. movie. Did you think of that yourself? Thank you very much. I did. I did. That was good. I like it. Um, so yeah. this is sadly moved. Uh, we're possibly never going to see this movie, but I think you know a lot of the big studios have, apart from Warner Brothers, have taken um, an exception to the the back the the backlash to Tenet, the fact that it didn't make you know a substantial profit that it was hoping to mm. when when launching in in movie theaters. So uh, this one's moved back, and I can see it sliding until you know forever when things finally open up, whenever that might be. Yeah. Um, Trailers wise, so uh, this 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 week I watched uh, uh, actually a new uh, Warner Brothers or HBO Max movie, which is one of those being streamed in theaters and also on HBO Max at the same time, like they did with Wonder Woman eighty four, and like they're doing for the rest of their twenty twenty one slate, mm-hmm. including The Matrix four and Dune. This is um, a new thriller starring Denzel Washington, uh, Remy Rami Malek and Jared Leto involving a murder investigation in present-day LA. And this is a really interesting-looking movie because it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, I would say, for the last few months. It's kind of come out of nowhere. And when you consider that, you know, you have this, this cast. So it's called The Little Things. It looks very kind of seven, like a seven light type thing. Right. Doesn't look like it's doing anything new, but when you've got these three, you know, as in the kind of lead roles, and you've got Jared Leto as as like some kind of creepy, kind of murder suspect in it, with it looks like he's got some kind of like uh, I don't know, like some kind of eight ball hemorrhage into his eyes because he's got these like black eyes. Right. Um, Looks really weird. That's dropping January twenty ninth. So if you've got HBO Max. Uh, you can watch that on January 29th without even having to leave your your house. So the little things. That's How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I picked up on uh, one, I think, came out uh, yesterday, I think, mm-hmm. or the day before. And uh, this looks like ridiculous fun. So this is the new um, Mel Gibson uh, film. <laughs> what is it with you and Mel Gibson? I know, I love Mel Gibson. <laughs> uh, in films, not in... <laughs> not as a human being. Not as a human being. Um, so this is called Boss Level. I don't know if you've seen this. This trailer. Uh, oh. This is. Uh, it looks insane, like absolutely insane. So it's about a retired military operative, which isn't played by Mel Gibson. It's played by Frank Grillo, uh, who you may have seen in Captain America: um, The Grey and The Purge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he plays a retired military operative and he finds himself in a never-ending time loop on the day of his death. 
Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> so it's basically Groundhog Day yeah. uh, premise, but insanely violent. Like even in the trailer, it probably you see him die in the trailer about twenty times in hilarious <laughs> and extremely violent ways. Frank Grillo, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mel Gibson plays like the bad guy uh, <laughs> that's like sentenced him to this. Like I don't know how it doesn't really explain. He's not it, Santa Claus, is he? He's not. <laughs> um, and it's got Naomi Watts in it and Michelle Yeoh as well. Wow, bloody so hell! It, yeah, it's a really weird cast. Um, uh, it's directed by um, Joe Carnahan. Who, oh no way! Not, yeah, um, so Nark he directed, and yeah, Nark and Smoking Aces and the A Team, and yeah. he did The Purge as well with Frank Grillo. But yeah, so this looks nuts. It looks absolutely nuts, and I really want to see it. And uh, that comes out on the fifth of March. But yeah, you're laughing at the trailer because you just see him get annihilated. <laughs> but it's good because he sort of preempt. He knows when he's going to get killed, and he's he's going through it every day. By the, and it's got really cool like different characters in it, like comic book like characters. Yeah. and yeah. you just see him preempting stuff, and he's just like you know resigned to the fact he's going to get his head lopped off, or he's going to be run over by this truck, or he's going to be cut in half, or whatever. You know, it's just mental. So that looks very it sounds. Uh, all. There's been a few good kind of time loop movies obviously groundhog day being the one that set the precedent but happy death day which was a blumhouse production i really liked yeah which was about a woman that was going to get murdered and every day she she got murdered by this serial killer basically and she kept waking yeah. up trying to change it there uh, is quite a enjoyed few that. of those kind of things I was, I was thinking about a series i watched last year called russian doll on netflix yep, yep. same thing Palm Springs. Was, yeah, I was just about to say what was the other one, the Palm Springs one. Yeah, I, I love Palm Springs. I've still Actually, not seen that, that yet. I need to very close that. to being in my top five, I have to say. Mm. Very close to being in my top five. It was a great comedy. And then Edge of Tomorrow and seeing Tom Cruise get run over by that truck. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you hear him go, <laughs> uh, um, The other trailer I have to mention, because I don't think we would be doing ourselves justice if we didn't, is the Coming to America trailer. Which I assume Absolutely. you must have seen. Yeah, you must have seen it. I have. I had about three people send me a link to it <laughs> when it came out. So I woke up and I was like, three people had sent me the link to the trailer of Coming to America. <laughs> I mean, you know, coming the original Coming to America. It's one of my all-time favorite comedy films, easily. Yeah, there. Eddie Murphy in his prime, just brilliant cast with Arsenio Hall, and and they're all back for this as well. Uh, in, yeah so i just i can't wait to watch this this is out on um march the 5th on prime amazon yep. prime video which yep. is interesting so yeah they're all back uh it's about him uh finding out he's got a long lost son who's in the states and he's got a return to america to oh that him. old trope yeah of course <laughs> i you know i i think i really hope it's going to be fun and not shite but there's a danger it might be but same director great. as Dolomite is my name, which I love. Yeah, which I loved as well. Yeah. yeah. So, I, and Eddie Murphy is coming back to make. And his, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Wesley well, Snipes is brilliant in, in Dolomite as well. Yeah, and he's, he's in this as well, isn't he? Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this. The only Arsenio Hall got, hasn't aged, has he? Arsenio Hall. It, it seems like exactly he hasn't age. aged at all. Yeah. No. Um, but the only thing, and you know who else hasn't aged? <laughs> the barbershop. The barbershop. The entirety of the barbershop, which must have been in their like what late 60s, 70s, in the 80s, yeah. are back through movie magic. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, yeah, I'm really, really. They should all be them. about 120 each right now, shouldn't they? Easily, yeah, easily. <laughs> they should be. What a dead. schmuck! What a schmuck! Uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. March the 5th. Definitely, definitely, some good stuff coming. It's going to be a good year, I hope, as long as this stuff doesn't so. get delayed. Um, but yeah, a lot and a lot more trailers to come this year. We'll keep we'll keep you up to date with what those are and where you can see them. So let's jump into the reviews, and we've got quite a few this week. So we're going to fly through these a little bit quicker than we usually do. Um, Phil, we'll get you you started off. So this is Netflix's uh, new new movie, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Tell us more. Indeed, it is. So this is um, yeah the new Netflix drama. Uh, and it's based on a 1982 play of the same name by August Wilson. Um, so it's set in Chicago in 1927. Uh, and it mainly it's like centered around a recording session for the notoriously difficult to deal with uh, and strong-willed Ma Rainey and her band. Um so Ma Rainey, for those that don't know, is actually a real person. She was nicknamed the mother of blues, and she was one of the first uh, African-American professional blues singers and one of the first to record as well, which is really cool. Um, and from the looks of the film, she was quite a big character as well, <laughs> if she's playing real to life. Hmm. Um, now, I watched it without knowing anything about it, uh, I think it was just, it came up on Netflix. And I was like, that looks cool. I, I did know it was Chadwick, uh, Chadwick Boseman's last film, which I'll go into in a bit, but I didn't know anything about it. Watched it really late at night and I really enjoyed it. So it's, while I was watching it as well, I thought this just feels like I'm watching a play. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know at the time that, um, August that it was based on a play. Yeah. So it came as no surprise when I saw the credits, it said based on the play by August Wilson. Uh, because apart from you know a few scenes at the start, which include some amazing looking snapshots of 1920s Chicago, it's really well done. There's some really lovely cinematog cinematography in this. Um, and then a couple of short scenes in the middle. The, the film takes place mostly in two rooms. Um, so that gives it a real sort of theater feel to it. Um, it just did just feel like watching a play. Um, one of the band, uh, and I guess the sort of standout main character in this film is Levy, and mm -hmm. he's played by Chadwick Boseman um, in, as I said, in what sadly is his final on-screen performance before he died mm -hmm. uh, back in August, which is a real shame. Um, but he does a great job in this. Uh, he plays um, he plays the horn in the band, and he's younger than the rest of them. Uh, he's got like bigger aspirations than playing just her music for her. Uh, he writes sort of upbeat versions of her tunes that he tries to get him to rehearse and he writes his own music that he feels is uh, sort of more relatable to the youth of 20s Chicago. Um, and he thinks it's going to be like the next big style in blues. Um, and he wants sort of nothing more than to just record his own music and um, rather than just doing sessions for other people, which is what he's doing. Uh, so the story follows the day of recording Um emphasizes the difficulty that the studio faces getting Ma to get the recording done because she's constantly playing up or demanding 
you know things like she has a hissy fit about not having a coca-cola a cold coca-cola ready for her when they're about to record i know the feeling (laughs) just like Like he's asking you to provide me with a cold coca-cola before we start the podcast it's true it's true uh um so yeah, all the while the band are rehearsing in the in the sort of rehearsal room with mm-hmm. split between the two rooms um before they go up to record. Um and they're going through their own sort of dilemma as Levy is becoming increasingly frustrated with Mar having to play the same old music without having his voice heard and you know, he really wants to play his own versions, as I said before. Um the performances in this were stellar, really, really good. Small cast, uh it's only uh, I'm trying to like Rainey, Ma Rainey herself, her band and her two assistants, and then the band manager and the sh- recording studio engineer guy, like the owner. Um, so it's quite, again, it's a theatre cast. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it just relies on really strong performances. So Viola Davis uh, plays Ma Rainey and she's absolutely amazing. So is Chadwick Boseman. There's some, um, but it feels harsh to single them out because the rest of the cast is really equally as good in this as well. Um, it feels like it highlights uh, a lot of difficult issues. Um, there's a few long, emotionally charged, and really well delivered speeches uh, that, and they, you know, sadly highlight the kind of cruel oppression that black people face during uh, that particular time mm. in history. Um, but it's really, really well done. Um, so yeah, if, if you want something bit different to watch or you're missing theater performances which you might well be because i'm sure you won't have been to one of them in the last year um so if you're missing them as much as 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 movies then it could be a real winner for you because you know it's really got that feel about it so yeah it's available on uh netflix now great stuff ma rainey's black bottom then gets a recommendation from the movie mouth tv and movie podcast incredible i know that uh, denzel's got a exclusivity agreement now production agreement with um with netflix obviously produced this um mm. and also another august yeah i didn't wilson mention play, that sorry but he did fences it, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he also pro- produced fences which was another august wilson and is bringing um uh more to netflix soon so mm. um he's uh i think he was um very closely aligned allied with um with chadwick boseman at the start of his career and actually right. helped him so it's it's actually quite fitting that this was his final film film role um and actually if you're a chadwick boseman fan um it's also been announced that he did record record voices um for uh some um disney plus shows in relation to black panther so okay he will be seen well not seen he will be heard on screen in uh some some marvel related shows coming this year or next year on on disney plus as well that's good great stuff so we've got to check that one out uh for me a slight uh let's let's take a slight left turn uh i'm going to take you back to the year 1984 a year special to uh the parents of both phil and myself because uh we were both born that year what a year we uh we we plopped out um but not (laughs) only were we born that year but also wonder woman 1984 was set that year and uh, this is our next review um, with Gal Gadot returning as Diana Prince, aka the aforementioned Wonder Woman, uh, where Diana must contend with a work colleague and a businessman whose desire for extreme wealth sends the world down a path of destruction after an ancient artifact that grants wishes goes missing. Mm. And that story 
um, should pretty much sum up why I really did not like this film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Diana does absolutely have to contend with a work colleague and a businessman. Um, And that explains really why this is one of the most boring superhero films that I've had the mispleasure of watching in recent history. And surprisingly, this comes off the back of the the home run slam dunk, you could say, of the original Wonder Woman starring Gal Gadot, also directed here by Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins actually moved into a writing role as well for this. She didn't write the original, but she did step into a role for this. Um, It starts off really well um, with a young Diana uh, taking part in a kind of Athenian Olympics style event um, and then brings us up to the year 1984 which you know, as you would have seen in the tra- trailer, brings back Chris Pine's Chris, uh, sorry Steve Trevor, who you know for certain reasons, if you haven't seen it, is uh, kind of impossible to be back. But the whole wish-granting element of this ancient artifact um, felt really dumb to me, and uh, you know, basically people can just wish for whatever they want the most in the world, and they'll get it, and it just felt a bit lazy. And mm. to be honest, there were there are a couple of cool-ish set pieces um but for the most part you know you've you've basically got Kristen Wiig as the bad guy in this and Pedro Pascal aka Mando from the Mandalorian um so so you've got some incredible people in there it just felt like the the villains just felt a bit too I don't know like they should have just been one of the one villain and focus really on that Felt like they were detracting. It felt a little bit Spider-Man 3, um, you know, where there's a little bit too much going on and mm. you know, two villains that have two different agendas and, and that kind of thing. Um, Gal Gadot, fine in it, you know. Um, the whole initial movie kind of focused on their relationship and their chemistry. And weirdly in this one, the chemistry wasn't as good. It was almost like they were kind of strangers in, in this one, um, which was disappointing. Um, because again, I really like Chris Pine. I really like Gal Gadot, uh, you know, and I think they were they were really really good in the in, in the first one. So I'm very sad to report that Warner Brothers, who you know obviously announced that they'll be launching their major theatrical movies on the HBO Max platform um, this year, that the first major release of it for me was a missed opportunity. And you know, if you like your comic book movies, if you like Wonder Woman, sure, check it out. But you know, even for me, I feel like this is one that's worth passing on um, and uh, and maybe not spending the two and a half hours watching Ooh, zero cool. action, um, yeah. you know, um, for, for, the, for the most part. So sorry to say, Wonder Woman 1984 gets a miss from the Movie Mouth podcast. Phil. Sputnik! Sputnik! <laughs> <laughs> Which we haven't been able to stop saying to each other. <laughs> this is the new uh again it's on it was released uh on netflix on the 18th of december and yeah sputnik and this is a russian uh science fiction horror um and i was i think i saw the trailer for this last year and i thought this could be up my up, up my alley and I, I, you know, I don't shy away from a foreign language film. I love foreign language films. It doesn't put me off reading subtitles. And I never, and I say this to everyone, please don't watch a foreign language film with a dubbed audio track because they're always terrible and it always takes away from the performance of the actors. 
So just watch it with some subtitles and read them, please, for the sake of everyone. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Unless it's uh, maybe a Studio Ghibli. Because then yeah, that's different. You, you get yeah. a really good uh, yeah. you know, English language cast. Yeah, that is true. But most of the time. Do, just watch do, 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 do. <laughs> Sorry. Let me get back to Sputnik. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this is, so I said, it's a, it's a science fiction horror. Uh, it's set in 1983 and starts, well, there's a lot of 80s stuff going on. There's a lot of 80s. And it starts with uh, two Russian cosmonauts on their descent back to Earth when a mysterious creature attacks their shuttle. And let's just say, and to quote the poster, the only survivor did not come back alone. <laughs> so, it, to be honest, this is a really hard one to talk about uh, without giving much of it away okay let's move action. on <laughs> regarding the action <laughs> and the plot so i will simply say that this is really well made and a really enjoyable watch um it puts a bit of a different spin on a genre that can sometimes be a bit repetitive mm. you know sort mm. of space aliens survival all that stuff but this really did keep me interested for the whole of it um really good performances from the cast it's uh it's got um Oksana Akinshina, she plays uh, Tatiana Klimova, and she was in the um, she was in the Born Supremacy, I think. But none of the actors I recognise. So, but and the main guy is um, uh, is played by Piotr Fyodorov. Sorry, my Russian pronunciation isn't very good, but he plays Konstantin Vashenyakov. <laughs> just keep going I with the you, Russian. I told you it wasn't very good with the Russian uh, pronunciation. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> and, Welcome uh, to Duolingo with your host <laughs> Phil. Uh, anyway, uh, I said great performances, both of them. Um, really, it looks really good. It's it's got surprisingly um, surprisingly decent special effects in it, like really good. Uh, just the right, right amount of gore is pretty gory, but it's great. And I think one pleasant surprise about it was that I expected it to be full of jump scares because it just felt like it okay. was going to be that kind of film. Uh, and again, that's way overdone in my book uh, in a lot of things these days. But it manages, to keep, it manages to keep you on edge without needing to go to them at all. Um, so well worth a watch if you're in the mood for some foreign language science fiction horror. Mm -hmm. Sputnik! Is available now on Netflix. And it gets a recommendation from the it Movie does. Mouth Film and TV podcast. Nice one. That's available on Netflix. I think in Europe it's also here in the US on Hulu. So okay. you can check that out. That was a surprise for me when I was scrolling through Hulu and Sputnik popped up. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely going to give that one a go. Uh, for me, we're going back to the land of television. And not only to the land of television, but let's go all the way back to the black and white television serials and sitcoms of the 1960s and 70s. No, it's not Bewitched. It's the latest Marvel TV series on Disney+. Plus. I give you WandaVision. This is, without a doubt, the most bizarre TV show that I've had the pleasure of reviewing. Um, but I have to add just a, a slight asterisk. We're only three episodes in so far at the time of review. I've watched all three. Um, and... I will reserve final judgment until we get at least halfway through this season. 
Um, so this is the first season starring uh, Wanda Maximoff, um, who, of course, was, was played by Elizabeth Olsen, um, also known as Scarlet Witch in the MCU Marvel movies, and Paul Bettany as Vision. Um, here set, I'm guessing, after the events of Avengers Endgame, although I'm not entirely sure, uh, because one of them maybe shouldn't be necessarily around. Um, this is basically a 1960s sitcom with laughter track, black and white, uh, square kind of aspect ratio, like a 4-3 aspect ratio, mm-hmm. um, set in a, you know, a kind of domiciled in a kind of uh, white picket fence community with like fake backdrops and I mean I can't even really explain why because it's not clear as yet as to why that <laughs> why that is right um so tough one to review um I'm a big Marvel MCU fan obviously absolutely love it I know people who absolutely despise this because they have no idea what's going on um i'm again going to reserve judgment i can talk about it a little bit it's directed by matt shackman who directed a ton of great tv um you know, most recently game of thrones it's always sunny in philadelphia the boys succession so it comes from some real kind of um high profile i would say directors and creators the showrunner is jack schaefer um and she wrote uh the hustle um which was a, a kind of anne hathaway rebel wilson starring comedy and she's also written the new black widow movie with scarlett johansson so interesting to see how this is going to tie into some of the other um kind of mcu based movies um it also has a really nice cast uh, it's rounded out by um a couple of a couple of really great um actors so far it includes Catherine hahn um from you know a lot of comedies and stuff like that and she's she's mm-hmm. really really good in this um and Tayona Paris who kind of comes into it from around episode two uh so far there are very little super superheroing in this um it's all pretty much uh housewife and you know guy going to work type situational comedy um <laughs> I remember seeing the trailer for this and just being I did not have a clue what was going on no, I mean I've seen three episodes and I still don't have a clue what's going on <laughs> um there are little hints and little things that are getting dropped in there um I'm intrigued. The episode's like 30 minutes long, maximum, 25 oh, right. to 30 okay. minutes. So it's it's a short, you know, it's a short thing. There's only nine episodes in this season. Um, it's obviously intrigued to see where it goes. I think it, it could expand and go somewhere really interesting, and I have a feeling it will. Um, I have a feeling that it's, uh, that it's a bit of a bait and switch with the start. But uh, I don't know whether I can recommend this. I'm just going to say the jury's out. Um, and if you like your MCU, tune in. Um, maybe stick with it, uh, and we'll see where this one goes. We'll, re- we'll report back on this, no doubt, later in the uh, Movie Mouth podcast uh, in the next few weeks. Intriguing. Pretty weird, man. Pretty weird, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, and then the final review, uh, I'll keep this one uh, super brief, is Cobra Kai Season 3. So Cobra Kai, of course, is the the show focusing on Johnny Lawrence, the blonde rival to Ralph Macchio's Daniel LaRusso in the original um, uh, Karate Kid movie. Season three here, I won't spoil, um, but it follows on pretty much the same trend. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Johnny Lawrence and Ralph Macchio, uh, they're both grown up. Uh, they end up 
fighting again in in another series this brings us up to to speed with the events of season two this is the first season that was commissioned by netflix the other two were commissioned by youtube on their on their now defunct youtube red platform which is when i watched the the original two love season one season two i think season one is one of the best tv seasons of anything i've ever seen um season two i completely fell off um with i think it just went to a place i wasn't really that into and i think this continues on the trend it's not as good not as exciting for me as the as the first season it feels a little bit more teen kind of comedy focused which is fine um but maybe it's just not really for me so sadly i can't recommend cobra kai season three even though they do they have commissioned another two seasons at netflix beyond this and no doubt i'll probably watch them anyway so we'll see where that one goes great stuff good so philip yes it's only bloody time for this isn't it Welcome to Video Store Corner. Philip, please open the door, take a peruse, have a little look around, pick up some videos, have a little sniff of that electrical engineered VHS players that you can hear as I rewind the tapes that customers decided not to. Bring me your membership card and a bag of butter-kissed toffee popcorn and tell me, what would you like to rent this week? This week, I would love to rent the 1989 classic that is Roadhouse. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, please. I'll take Welcome, this, please. y'all. <laughs> hey, Pop. Tell us all about it. <laughs> so, for those that have not seen it, this is a, as I said, a 1989 classic starring Patrick Swayze. Yes. As uh, Dalton. Uh, also stars Kelly Lynch as Doc, Sam Elliott as Wade Garrett, amazing, and Ben Bizarra as Brad Wesley, the bad man, bastard uh, Wesley. They should call him. They should call him bastard Wesley. Absolute bastard. So, plot-wise, I'll read out a little, uh, little bit of text I've got. So, serene and laconic, yet powerful and lethal, Dalton Swayze. <laughs> I wish, ex- you know, I really hope people describe me like that. What, serene and laconic, yet powerful and lethal? <laughs> <laughs> I think they already do. Um, so Dalton is an expert in martial arts and the best professional bouncer in the business. Oh, he is. Uh, you know, the best professional bouncer in the business. Everybody knows who that is. Of course they do. Uh, with such a reputation, Dalton is summoned in a small town in Missouri to clean up the sleazy bar called the Double Deuce. Double Deuce. Um, uh, to clean it up from the troublemakers who terrorize the customers without knowing, however, that the villainous local entrepreneur, Brad Wesley, wants things to remain unchanged. As Dalton cleans up the nightclub and with it, the town from Wesley's hired goons, a deep wound from a knife will inspire a passionate affair with local doctor Elizabeth Doc Clay. Now, the corrupt Wesley has enough reasons to take Dalton out of the way. <laughs> Nevertheless, the bouncer has the final say. 
Are you sure that was that wasn't a poem? It sounded like a poem. <laughs> it did. It rhymed at the end there. Doc Clay, out of the way, Dalton Bouncer has the final say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's weird is that that's the description of the movie, but it feels so cerebral, like it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie that I watched yeah, yesterday. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? A knife wound turns into a, a love affair. What? Well, because he goes to the hospital. I get it, but at it. no point did I was like, oh, this knife wound has led to this love affair. Like it, Symbolism. Bizarre. No. Well. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to say. It's a lot to say about this for those that haven't seen it. It's. Can we get it out of the way? Can we just get it out of the way? Go on. Did we have to see Patrick Swayze's butt cheeks so much? <laughs> I saw the bottom of his balls as well, definitely. Did you? Did you? Yeah. Did you said the bottom of his balls. Yeah, the, the under balls. The underball, yeah. Isn't that a James Bond movie? <laughs> the swinging underballs. Isn't that James Bond underball. in. Underball. underball. Like Underball. <laughs> Starring Patrick Swayze. We didn't need to see that much of Swayze, to be honest. No. Um, but we saw a lot of... I mean, to be fair, we see a lot of the other sex in this film. There's a, a lot, lot of boobs. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot a lot of boobs. boobs. Hmm. So why not see a bit of balls as well? It's, it's very of its time, isn't it? In terms of yeah. the nudity uh, stakes. Yeah, and the sort of like Oh, just terror. It's so Oh, yeah, it's just it's just mental this film, isn't it? I think the main observation I've got about this entire film is that to me it feels like you're watching a really long softcore porno. <laughs> well, yeah, I but a really long and higher budget episode of the A team. Yes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It yeah. just feels like the A-team, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels like there's a <sighs> people in distress and they call the best in the business to come and sort it all out for them and they sort of then move on to somewhere else. I mean, I don't know why that there's some sort of legendary bouncer circle that everyone seems to know about. Like, Weird, isn't it? Yeah, like every bar in the country and they get like headhunted. Like They're a like, you need Dalton. They're like, what's yeah, his surname? <gasps> No one knows what his surname yeah, is. Yeah, and then he turns up there Dalton. and, you know, he's in a completely different town and everyone goes, oh, that's Dalton. Yeah, everyone it's knows like, him. I know, fuck you, you know who some bitch. bouncer is from another town. It's <laughs> really, weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really odd premise. <laughs> uh, I've got to say, though, I really like this film. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. There's a lot of roundhouse kicks. There's a lot of bar fights. There's a lot of... Uh, Stabbing, stupid, <laughs> a lot of stabbings, a lot of violence. Question um, for you: How many times yeah. does Patrick Swayze get stabbed in this movie? Loads, absolutely loads. And in the past, judging by the scars on his naked body, he gets uh, stabbed a lot, lot, doesn't he? He gets, yeah, he takes it like a champ, though, doesn't he? Champ, I meant to say, not champ. He does. He takes it. He's a bit of a champ, and a champ, he is a bit of a champ, a chumpy champ. What's your What was your favourite scene in this movie? Uh, the best scene is. 100%. No, 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 don't just say it's the best scene. What was your favorite scene? <laughs> All right. My favorite scene is definitely the scene where um, Wade Garrett uh, shows up, played by Sam, the brilliant Sam Elliott. And Sam ass. Elliott, so Wade Garrett is basically like the, he's the best, isn't he? So Dalton, Apparently. Patrick Wade, yeah, well, he so was the best. Wade Garrett is the best. 
Yeah. But and it seems like Dalton learned everything from him. And yeah. He's sort of like the young Wade Garrett. He's like he's his heir. He's going to yeah. take over the yeah. bouncer throne. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's got to be said that Wade Garrett is the coolest fucker in the world. Like hundred yeah. percent, he's the coolest guy in the world yeah. ever. Yeah. Um. So he rocks up on his Harley. You know, after getting a, a call from Dalton saying, oh, I think some shit's about to go down. So he rocks up on a Harley. Uh, and he, so it's the scene where he rocks up and uh, out the back while he's turning up, uh, Dalton is getting set upon by all of the bad guys. All bad guys. This felt yeah. like an A-team type scene, didn't it? Yeah, as well? definitely. 100%. Yeah. So they are, they're trying to unload boxes of booze, but they're trying to stop, the bad guys are trying to stop it. They're trying to starve the business because... Uh, you know, Dalton's cleaning it up and sort of taking their money from them and stuff. So uh, they're trying to unload the booze, and basically he gets in a big old scrap, doesn't he? But he's getting oh, yeah. he's getting beaten up by quite a few guys. Dalton, he's he's giving it his best, but he is getting beaten up. And Wade Garrett shows up at the bar, turns up at the bar, puts his sunglasses down. He's like, you know, where's Dalton? And they were like, I think he's out the back. So he just. Uh, wanders out the back slowly to see Dalton being pinned up against a like a, a uh like a metal uh, no like a wooden uh post post thing yeah and getting we should say in a non-sexual way yeah <laughs> and getting pummeled <laughs> in the in the he's tummy getting, he's pinned up against the post getting pummeled <laughs> uh so he's get yeah he's getting the shit beat now I mean, basically yeah um and one of the henchmen comes up to him yeah, and so Ed says, You want to impossible- fight, Dickless? <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite line from the film, either, as well. So the character's name is Mountain. <laughs> and he says to Wade Garrett, I think they say, like, Who the fuck are you? And then he goes, You want to fight, Dickless? And Wade just goes, Well, I sure ain't going to show you my dick. <laughs> and then just decides to beat the shit out of all of them. He does as well. He properly does it. He has them all, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I uh, mean, you couldn't you couldn't write a better scene if you tried. I mean, it, to be honest, now you've just explained it, it sounds terrible, but it's <laughs> the standout scene of the movie, isn't <laughs> it? it? Is. I, I think so, yeah. That and also like one of the largest explosions you've ever seen in a movie for really, you don't really, didn't, they didn't really need to go that far. Not really, but no. an absolutely humongous explosion of Red's mechanic shop or whatever it is. Yeah, um, one of the guys that's kind of becomes friends with uh, with uh, with with Dalton. Um, interestingly, Red was, this old, was the old guy. He's also conveniently the father of the doctor who falls in love with Patrick Swayze. No, he's our right? uncle. He's our uncle. Yeah, and I was reading up on him, and he actually uh, is an actor called Red West. Who his actual real name was Red? Yeah, I think it was oh. Red Webster in this, but his real name was Red West. Right. And he was actually one of Elvis Presley's closest friends, part really? of his inner circle, and in later years became his personal bodyguard. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a fact and a half. And yeah. I've got some more bloody blinding trivia for you in a bit. <laughs> well, let's let let's get on to that. The one thing I wanted to say is around your mention of the quote, "You want to fight dickless? Well, I sure ain't going to show you my dick." Yeah. The word "dick" gets is written is is thrown around so much in this. Every a lot, every, yeah. a lot. Everyone gets called a dick. There's one moment when um, Patrick Swayze. Someone says someone says to Patrick Swayze, 
what's the matter, chicken dick? Um, Red West, uh, he's talking to Red West and he says, oh, um, you know, are you getting, are you getting, um, you know, is Brad Wesley coming around here and, and like extorting money from you? And Red West looks at Swayze and says, does a hobby horse have a wooden dick? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> Which is what I'm definitely going to use for the rest of my life. And the answer is no. I've never seen a, a hobby horse with a wooden dick, or any dick for that matter. No, but that'd be highly inappropriate. I guess it kind of is like a long... Anyway, so the, long yeah, I felt like writing-wise, they were just like... It was the same person who was just like, you know what, just say dick, dick in here. Do you know what? I want to say dick as well. Dick's the best thing. But, yeah. I mean, I'll t- I tell you what, the, one of my other... I've got a couple of other favourite lines as well. In fact, one of them is going to be mentioned in the trivia, so I'll leave that one out. But the other one is um, uh, towards the end, well, right at the end, when, um, you know, spoilers, but <laughs> Patrick Swayze's in Brad Wesley's house. <laughs> yes, he is. He's he's in, take, he gets into out, Wesley's mansion, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's taking out his guards one by one yeah. in stealth uh, manner. And then he's in, like, his massive trophy room, which is full of all like, the hunted animals that mm-hmm. he had. And uh, and Brad Wesley like knows he's hiding in there, and he says, "I see you found my trophy room, Dalton. The only thing that's missing is your ass." <laughs> I love that one. So homoerotic. Actually, just on that point, uh, and talking about best scene. So for me, without a doubt, the best scene in this movie is the chubby henchman during this moment of the movie. <laughs> Who's in said trophy room, surrounded by all taxidermied animals, heads yeah. and you know stuff. Think you know Ace Ventura when Nature Calls and he goes to that room and there's all like the stuffed animals and he's freaking yeah. out. And he's the henchman's mad, yeah. doing exactly the same thing, isn't he? He's got a gun. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, I can't, he's like freaking out. You can just tell he's freaking out. And he then he then opens fire on a stuffed polar bear uh, <laughs> out of fright, which we then see is actually being it's not actually alive but it is being wield- wielded by Patrick Swayze <laughs> and he is subsequently squashed by it. He is <laughs> squashed by a polar bear. And he gets up at the end and he's like, I was being squashed by a polar bear. No, he, he, he literally, he stands up at the end after they've just brutally murdered Brad, Brad Wesley in a, yeah. in a, like a, a circle of shotgun fire. And he turns out, he stands up and he look, almost looks straight down the camera lens and goes, <laughs> A polar bear fell on me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Amazing. Here's a question for you. Here's a question yeah. for you. Brad Wesley. Mm. So I recognized him, and I, it wasn't until I looked at IMDb. He was, in fact, Jackie Treehorn from The Big Lebowski, the, the, oh, the porn right. mogul. Remember, he he, he kind of goes to see him, and he ends up taking some drugs. and Yeah. And... Also, obviously, interestingly, is that Sam Elliott is also in the same movie. But on the point of Brad Wesley, a.k.a. Bastard Wesley, a.k.a. just, for no apparent reason, an absolute bastard to everybody, this guy is such a bastard that the first time we see him, he is flying his helicopter for no reason (laughs) all all over a farm that's run by an old man who's about to rent a room to Patrick Swayze. And he not only does he fly over there once, he flies it over twice in a circle and scares all the horses off, isn't he? He's just up for... Just does he's it just, up, he's just, just like stirring the shit, doesn't he? It, it's, honestly, it's, he stirs the shit, and it's vehicular, he's a vehicular liability. Um, the next scene we see Brad Wesley. Again, we haven't really even been introduced to the character. We've just oh, seen him flying around in a helicopter. <laughs> the next scene, we see him... 
swerving his red drop-top convertible all over the place on a country road nonchalantly. Yeah. It's like whistling, while, isn't he? While singing, life should be a dream, sweetheart. Hello, hello again. Oh, oh, hey. And he's just driving from left and right into oncoming traffic and out of the lane. He doesn't even know. And then when, when uh, Dalton drives towards him, he doesn't even notice him. He just no. kind of swerves around him, Drives luckily. him off the road. Yeah. <laughs> Rams him off the road and just carries on swerving up the, up the road. <laughs> He's a dickhead, isn't he? We then see him. We then see him drive up because because he lives across the river from Patrick Swayze. And Patrick yeah. Swayze, I can't remember he's doing something. But we then see in the next scene um, Brad Wesley driving a motorized trike along, <laughs> along the river bank. <laughs> And he's just like stops and then he looks over at Patrick Swayze and Patrick Swayze looks over and then he just gets on his trike and drives off again. (laughs) And then, and then we see his fucking monster truck, which he has, again, really for no apparent reason, drive through a car showroom, a Ford car showroom, and drive over every single brand new vehicle in that car showroom. So... Brad Brad Wesley, the bastard Wesley, really vehicular mayhem in this was insane. And how many vehicles this guy has? He causes problems in everything he's in. He does in every yeah. moment of this movie. Every I also transport. what it also what it also made me think was so Brad Wesley. He's like there. He's you know kind of you know extorting people and like blowing up people's houses, really for no apparent reason. No one really knows why. Just because he, he can't the control money, really. them. No, so he just because he, he can't control people, he just blows everything up and basically kills everybody. Um, broad daylight, there is a a car showroom. Um, everybody's there in the town. They're all looking. I don't even know why they were there, but they're all looking at the these cars for some reason. Maybe it's some mm. kind of opening, some kind of sale on these these Ford cars. When the monster truck drives through the glass of the building and squashes everything, broad daylight again. At no point in this movie. Not a single moment. And bear in mind, all of the chaos that is caused in this movie by Brad Wesley, like Mm -hmm. explosions, fires, helicopters, monster trucks, (laughs) trikes, um, shotguns blowing cars up in midair. Yeah. Not one policeman. No. I've I've made a note that says exactly the same thing. It's like, where (laughs) the fuck are the local police force? They are nowhere to be seen. I mean, they do mention that he's sort of, they're all you know, paid off by him. But it's just like, they're not even making an appearance. They're not even doing a show of it, are they? It's so you see weird. the fire brigade turn up when he blows up Red's oh, yeah, uh, they're car, all right. uh, you know, motor mechanic place. But other than that, none, none of them it's, anyway. It's barely alluded to. Like Apart you said. the end. Yeah, it, exactly. It's barely alluded to, but it's just such a bizarre film that like, there's no cops around. And that's Lawless. why I think it feels like an A-team type show yeah, because that's it they never were like around you know in the, in those either because well, you had the military trying to chase him down and never catching up with them yeah in the a-team yeah 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 so do you want some trivia please do uh right i've got a few bits phil's trivia section <laughs> definitely need to do a jingle for this uh so patrick swayze's fame caused problems during filming apparently so a pickup truck containing a group of middle-aged blonde women attempted to drive right up to the star's trailer to meet the actor. Um, during the big fight by the river, a raft of swavely loving ladies sailed by, uh, and a female extra playing a waitress was too busy staring at Swayze to watch where she was going and tripped, <gasps> spilling all of her drinks on another extra. Fuck. That's I mean, brilliant. he's such a love boat, isn't he? Yeah. 
Swayze. Maybe she could see his underball. <laughs> Maybe she was on that scene there, yeah. Um, due to a knee injury he sustained during filming, Patrick Swayze turned down the roles of Gabriel Cash in Tango and Cash. No. Also <gasps> 19, 1989. Uh, and also he turned down the role of Mike Harrigan in Predator 2. Wow. 1990. Uh, he chose to make Ghost instead, which is also 1990, uh, as his follow-up, and because it, it was a less physically strenuous role because he had the, the knee injury. So it basically turned out to be a blessing in disguise as Ghost ended up being a mm. huge hit and received mm. critical acclaim, whereas Tango and Cash was a bit of a flop. That's crazy. <laughs> so was I Road love House, Tango though. and Cash, though. I love Tango, Tango and Cash. Cash is a great Brilliant. movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, he said at Roadhouse, uh, Roadhouse, Patrick says he once commented that during production, he was not sure he would live through the making of this movie. <laughs> Seems a bit dramatic to me, but fair enough. Um, what, why? What? Because did he did he actually run away? That There's that scene when they blow up the farmhouse and he hmm. saves the, the old farm guy, whatever his name is, Eli or something. Eli whatever or something, whatever his name is, yeah. And, Dungaree Man. And it looked, Dungaree Man. And it looked... Like it was Swayze pulling him out of that house. I think and it was. The I think wide it angle a lot when it blew itself. up. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Oh, here's one you'll like. So the band at the very start of this film, when they're in the other club, you know, the first club in wherever yes. it is, like Miami or something, like yeah. Yeah. Uh, 80s club, and it's pumping, and he's the Dalton's like the security guy there, yeah. isn't he? So yeah. the, the, the band... Take this playing... outside. Yeah, exactly. So the band that's playing at the start of that film uh, is called Cruzados. Right. And uh, after the band disbanded, lead singer Tito uh, Lariva formed the band Tito and Tarantula, which is the band that played at the Titty Twister from Dust Till Dawn. Dark no. no. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a nice little link, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the same is that guy. Like, dark night. Yeah. Dark night. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? So an off-Broadway production of this film was produced in 2003. It had the peculiarly excessively long title of Roadhouse, the stage version of the cinema classic that starred Patrick Swayze, except this one stars Tiamat from the ninth, from the 80s cult classic The Last Dragon, 1985, wearing a blonde mullet wig. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone to see that. Me too. 100%. Let's get it back. Uh, we should. Let's get a Kickstarter going. Now, this one's a bit sad, but interesting. Patrick Swayze and Ben Gazzara, Ben Gazzara yep. played Brad Wesley, died. they both died of pancreatic cancer. That is sad. Swayze in 2009 and Gazzara in 2012. 2012. Yeah, it's yeah. awful. Um, this is a great one. So Marshall Teague, who plays one of the henchmen, Jimmy, he's like the main henchman to yep. uh, to Brad Wesley. He's an asshole, isn't he? Uh, you know, is he the big guy? He's the, the big, sort tall of guy. Like, no, yeah, he's the, like the, well, the guy. Well, I was going to say he's the guy with a mullet, but they've all got fucking mullet. But yeah, he's <laughs> the guy that where he's like the one that has the main fight with Dalton yeah. on the riverbank. Yeah, business in the, the one, front party. The, the one back. that basically Dalton rips his throat out. Throat out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. physically. Um, so Marshall Teague, Jimmy, told a story that he took his mother uh, to the premiere of the movie. So when the fight against Dalton happens, and he says the line, "I used to fuck guys like you in prison." His mother jumped up and proudly shouted, "That's my boy!" <laughs> Is that the line? I used to fuck guys like you in prison. I thought it was yeah. I used to fight guys like you in prison. No, he said, "Fuck guys like you in prison." Jesus Christ! 
that's the that's the greatest line in the movie. Uh, yeah, it's good. That's why I didn't mention it earlier. I knew I had that little bit of trivia. That's my boy. That's incredible. Can we just that's talk about that boy. scene for a second? Yeah. He rips his... Basically, Swayze rips his fucking throat out. And I think that's the one thing that most people remember this movie for. Yeah. I mean, they allude to that he'd done that before in uh, yeah, someone says, I heard in the he, film. I heard he ripped someone's throat out. Yeah. With his bare with hands. With his bare hands. And you're like, yeah. wow, fucking hell. And, and he, he does, tried, he's going to do it again to uh, Brad Wesley, isn't he, at the end? He's got like this like weird like Oh, uh, yeah. You really want him thing. to. Yeah, yeah and like you're like, hand I'm going to rip his throat out. And he's like, looks over and the girl, the, 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 the love interest is there. And he's like, no, I can't do it. I better not do it. Yeah. And instead, they all blow him away like with pump action shotguns. <laughs> shotguns in a circle. <laughs> so like graphic. A... And he falls <laughs> through a Brilliant. 1980s glass coffee table. It reminded me of Robocop quite a lot. <laughs> he was a lot like that. Um, speaking of the love interest, Kelly Lynch, who played mm. uh, Doc, his love interest. Now, this is brilliant. So she spent an absolutely pointless month, a month in a real emergency room preparing for her role. What, for she the also, one scene where she, she, also, she does stitches? Yeah. yeah. She also learned how to sew a proper stitch for one scene, but it was changed to staples. <laughs> what a fucking pointless <laughs> month of life. She spent a month, like, literally, I could have acted the doctor. She just literally goes in there and just, like, puts some to be, staples. To be honest, and this is, you know, this is of its time. To me, she just looked like an absolute blonde bombshell in a doctor's lab Dressed coat. Dressed in a... Doctor's lab coat. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah. that was the only thing that was in any way like reassuring that she was a doctor. Other than that, she was an air like a an air. Sadly to say, an airhead. Yeah, and that's Roadhouse. And that's Roadhouse. <laughs> um, Can I just say one thing about about Roadhouse? Not available yeah. in the US on any of the streaming apps. Ooh. I had to I had to pay for it. And Christ. it was three ninety nine to rent in HD on Amazon Prime, Worth where it. it was four ninety nine to buy. So I spent the extra dollar, and now yes! I own Roadhouse because so of glad. you forever. I'm so glad. <laughs> wow! Yeah, brilliant. Um, I think there are some uh, sequels, but nothing to do with anything. No, and they're awful. Never seen them. Don't want to see them. This is no. the best. No, best. Inverted. I mean, cool. he's got a shout out here for the most adequately named um, director of anything ever. His first name is Rowdy. <laughs> Rowdy Herring. Rowdy Harrington was the name. Uh, yeah. But, um, He'd also directed Striking Distance with Bruce Willis. Never seen it. No. I want to see it, though, because after researching this, I was like, I want well, to see that. Do you know what? I also want to see it. And look, check this out. This I is the description on IMDb. Coming. coming from a police family, Tom Hardy ends up fighting his <laughs> uncle after the murder of his father. <laughs> yeah, Phil, oh. Tom Hardy was good in that one. <laughs> Brilliant. We need to watch that. Done. Sold. All right. Well, thanks so much for the uh, the Roadhouse recommendation. That's fine. I'm glad you enjoyed it and you now own it. I own it forever. I'm going to go and watch it now. Watch it again every again. Day. Please, no, <laughs> no more chicken dick. <laughs> so, that was this week's video store corner with Roadhouse. We'll be coming up next week on uh, the next episode with something slightly different. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please do feel free to subscribe on all podcast 
apps and players. And also leave us a nice review if you don't mind. Um, just a five star would be great on any of those apps. Please, please do. Uh, you can also listen to our backlog of uh, of episodes as well. Those are again on all of the, the players. We're currently up to episode 19, but you can go back and check out reviews of some of the movies we talked about in our top 20 uh, list uh, this, this, this episode. Um, and of course, we'll be coming to you again in a couple of weeks time. So please do keep the listener questions coming in and drop us a follow on our social channels such as Instagram at Movie Mouth Podcast or Facebook. Phil, mm-hmm. there is just one last thing to say, isn't there? You want to fight, dickless? <laughs> well, I sure ain't going to show you my dick. <laughs> a polar bear fell on me. <laughs> <laughs>